Welcome to the Everyday Journey podcast. I'm your host, Vasily Mezin, coming at you from Chiang Mai, Thailand. I continue interviewing people who are outstanding in some way, casting a spotlight on one character at a time. My guest today is a California native, an entrepreneur, uh, ex-big uh, tech startup employee, world traveler, and a video blogger lately. Uh, he runs a business online that allows him to be location independent. He brings with him an ungodly amount of gear that he uses <laughs> completely uh, in order to create uh, photo and video content. So I welcome uh, Chase Young. Hey guys, before um, before we begin, Vercelli really oversold me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I have to make my uh, guest sound more, a lot more important uh, than I am, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's all truthful everything he said but okay he makes well, you sound like he's such a great person uh, i appreciate that yeah sure i mean yeah, let's get started let's let's uh, let's see if you are really that, that great <laughs> uh okay so i know a, little, a few things about you we met here uh i got to know you a little bit so my questions are going to be based on the little bit and i know about you so yeah, to get, good. together with the listeners uh, i'm going to get to know you a little bit better so you grew up in la yeah. What was it like? Area. To clarify, yeah. I, not that you can compare it with growing up anywhere else, <laughs> uh, but maybe some things that are that you think are very specifically uh, LA. LA. Okay. Uh -huh. So I think LA has a really standout, relaxing atmosphere compared to most major cities in the world. Even though it's one of the biggest metropolitan cities in the world, a lot of the time, you know, you when you're in the suburbs, you feel like you're growing up in a small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a collection of small towns. Yeah, basically. Which gives a lot of people kind of a small town mentality as well, or, or you wouldn't say that about No, I would definitely not say that. Mm -hmm. So LA is very diverse. One of the other things I really like about LA is um, the racial diversity and ethnic diversity. You yourself being uh, of uh, Chinese? Yeah, I'm Chinese. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. uh, ethnically. Ethnically Chinese mm -hmm. uh, from California, and it makes you feel like being... I suppose a non-white person in America, it's easy to be uh, whoever, whatever you are right. in California, for example. Right. Easier than in other places. Yeah, say compared to growing up in the South of mm -hmm. America. Yeah, um, basically over racism doesn't really exist anymore mm -hmm. in LA at least. Right. Yeah, the only racism that still exists are structural, which basically is part of the system and the way the system has been built. And, uh, and controversially, probably Asians are not suffering as much. No. <laughs> so in Los Angeles, actually most of California, Asian people are actually considered a uh, majority. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Basically, so, any major city in California will have a overwhelming Asian population. Including the mayor of uh, uh, San Francisco, Italy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> represents. Um, and uh, so... What did you aspire to be growing up? So, I'm one of those people. Hold on, first of all, before I get into that, um, I have ADD, clinically ADHD. So <laughs> you, You've been diagnosed? Yeah, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. Which is attention deficit? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Okay. Yeah, so attention dis uh, deficit disorder. A lot of people say that's a disorder, but for me, um, I think it's just that my brain works differently. So I like new experiences. I've always liked new experiences. 
I'm one of those people that value experience for the sake of experience. So growing up, I wanted to be a million things. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some uh, <laughs> prominent things uh, that come to mind right away? Okay. Some of the prominent things. Um, so early in my life, I really wanted to live out my life in a military career, which is very surprising, especially, you know, growing up in California. Mm -hmm. And that is mostly because um, of my dad. So my dad's entire side of the family has military background. Mm -hmm. And that's something he's always pushed me through to childhood. He thinks it's a great way to start your life, to gain discipline and the discipline to become successful later on in life. So for the longest time um, in my early childhood, I've aspired to, you know, everyone wants to be like their dads. Yeah. 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 Did, did he also raise you a little bit uh, like in the military style? Very strict. Uh, okay, yeah, very strict. Very strict. Okay, okay. So like beyond your normal Asian uh, tiger parenting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit over that. Uh, wow. So after I got over um, that part, of my life, you know, trying aspiring to be my dad. Um, when I hit pu puberty, basically, yeah, I discovered that I'm actually a really creative person, and I wanted to pursue something um, creative. I wanted to go to art school. That was one of my big things growing up. Mm -hmm. And you know, being in an Asian household, having Asian parents, that's just a big no-no. Because that is not solid enough. Yeah, there's no yeah. It's seeing as defined future for this exactly. Career. That's a perfect way to put it. So, in order to be successful in an Asian family, traditionally you're either a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, something that's really boring but brings you stability and a good income. Mm -hmm. And I think growing up in California, I've adopted to the mentality that life, you know, it's not all about all about money. And at a very early age, I've kind of come to realize that. So, so for someone like you, the obstacle, uh, the hardship of becoming uh, an artistic professional is not only just about you know the competitiveness of of that uh, industry, but it also is fighting with your family members. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so it's like yeah. it makes it extra difficult. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Um, actually, it wasn't even just my parents. Um, Pretty much everyone I grew up with, teachers, you know, everyone was very against it. Mm. Everyone's yeah. always I'm familiar with that. Yeah, everyone's always be realistic. You got to be realistic. Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna get anywhere with that. It's actually pretty discouraging. <laughs> right. So, despite all that, you managed to become an, an actor. Uh, I guess a part-time actor. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, back in LA, I did acting mm -hmm. full-time for about two years mm -hmm. before I came on this trip. What is a, can you describe a, a short version of what it takes to become an actor? Uh, okay, g given that you're already in LA. Okay. Are we talking about logistically or? Um, yeah, how does one make it happen after they've convinced <laughs> themselves that they're actually good at that? Uh, okay. On the kind of a... Well, just like yeah. anything, acting's a craft and you really have to practice a whole the craft. So the first step if you go into any, you know, agency, try to get a manager, and without, you know, experience in acting school, mm -hmm. the first thing they're gonna tell you is, go to acting teacher, go actually learn acting. Even though acting, you know, on the screen, looks like someone just living out their lives, mm -hmm. there's a lot of background preparation work to bring the character to life. So first, you gotta learn the craft. From people who know 
how it's done from, from some trainers, teachers. Yeah, so when you're in LA, <laughs> there's an acting school on every corner. Right? Yeah, there's no shortage of acting schools. Okay, so once you're any good uh, and you can actually do you need to provide some kind of a uh, paper that you've graduated from uh, courses, acting courses? No. Oh, okay. No. So the audition will, will pretty much reveal yeah, that. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, just like any other job, auditions basically a job interview. Mm -hmm. Except that you have to do it for every <laughs> every single time you work, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion. So it's like uh, in, in real in the real world, it, it's like as if you had job interviews every week. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, no, multiple, multiple job interviews every day. Every day. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's definitely a daily thing, Monday through Friday. It's a draining thing uh, for it people is. as it is uh, in a couple yeah. times a year. You, yeah. They go through that. Yeah. yeah. And does it make you better at job interviews? I think it actually does. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the requirements of becoming an actor is you really have to get to know yourself and that's the basis of everything. You have to be confident in yourself. Yep. Confidence is learned, actually, mm -hmm. from my opinion. You have to learn to be confident in yourself. And one of the other big things is you have to be relaxed, which is actually very hard to obtain. Oh. You, can't, you can't simulate it easily. Hmm? People see through that, right? Yeah, you, people see through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you're nervous in front of the camera, it's... Can you, you suppress can it successfully? Or hmm? is it possible to suppress your nervousness suppress successfully? Or yeah, um, mm. everyone's always nervous um, when they're out of audition. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, I mean, I've it's heard it many times in my life. Mm. People uh, got off stage, like people that I knew after performance, and say, "Oh my God, I was so nervous up there," and, and I'm like, yeah. "I didn't notice it at all." <laughs> <laughs> you looked very convincing. Yeah. Mm. Well, just like anything, with practice, it gets better. Uh, once you have, so white people get super nervous in the beginning um, before you know, they've established a career or have something going on, it's um, scarcity mentality. They come into a audition and if, feel, if it's one of their first auditions, it feels like this is my only shot. Mm. But after being in the industry for a while, you start to realize there's thousands of jobs every day. And once you cement that in your mind, the relaxation just kind of comes. I see, I yeah. see. So being rejected is no big deal. Part of, yeah. Part of the so yeah, that's definitely one of the first things you have to learn being in the film industry um, as an actor. Mm -hmm. Rejection, I'm talking about like 90% of the time. So did you love every minute of it? I did. Mm -hmm. It's always exciting. And you'd like to do more of it? Yeah. In the future. Definitely. So like I said, for me, um, I'm someone who likes to experience uh, new things. So every time I go into audition, I have a new role. It feels like I have the opportunity to step into the life of someone else and temporarily live the life of someone else, mm -hmm. which is really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, for example, I myself, I like to break into character in a conversation. <laughs> and sometimes people don't follow. Uh, they, 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 they try to connect what I, what I was talking bef uh, about before to right. what I, I just you know, <laughs> sped out. Like, oh, now I'm this character. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> But yeah, uh, this is like this is like mini acting. Yeah. Um, so uh, you love motorcycles, and today I've learned that you had a very serious uh, near-death experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry to take you there because you recently. No, it's okay. Bike. It's okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it's it's an interesting um, uh, area to, to to talk about because. Yeah, definitely. You okay? So let's let, let's let's hear what happened. How old were you? Um, I was 20 or 21. It was my first motorcycle. And you were 
okay uh, driving it. You, you were pretty confident uh, with the motor motorcycle. Yeah. In that particular instance, you didn't do anything wrong. No, I I was literally um, going home from school, from college, just driving down the street in the middle of traffic. It's about 6 p.m. in the uh, afternoon. And you got hit. Yeah. And so what happened? I was going down the street, my regular route that I've gone through a hundred times. And as I'm going down the street, a car runs a stop sign and T-bones me on the side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the moment of collision, uh, the bike went one way, then it threw me up another way, and I flew about 32 feet. And as soon as you hit the ground, your brain shut off. And more, more than your brain, yeah. Um, no, I still have brain activity. <laughs> what what, what like happened? What happened? Okay, so basically, when I got thrown off the bike, thankfully there was no uh, oncoming traffic mm -hmm. yet. So I got thrown off the bike, 32 feet forward. My face in the helmet landed um, on the edge of a curb, and my chest hit the ground. So basically. I forget what it's called, but there's some um, there's a medical phenomenon. Basically, if you get knocked in the chest with enough blunt force, in between a heartbeat, at the exact moment in between a heartbeat, it knocks your heart out of sync, mm. and it won't be able to uh, restart itself back up in rhythm. This is what happened. That's what happened. Yeah. This is. I looked it up after, um, <clears throat> you know, during my three months in bed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually very common in American football. A lot of uh, this happens surprisingly mostly to men, like seventy percent. I would say unsurprisingly because men yeah. participate in in physical activity that's, of that violent nature a lot that's more. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, um, that's how a lot of you know high school football players, baseball players die, you uh -huh. know, spontaneously during practice. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. So basically, that happened. Um, and since it was in the middle of traffic, I actually got really lucky. Right down the street behind me, about a block down, there was an ambulance, just, you know, parked in traffic. They saw the entire thing. So as soon as I landed, they turned on their sir sirens and they just pulled up. Wow, that was the fastest pickup yeah. after an accident. <laughs> wow, it's okay. I guess, yeah. I guess a little bit of luck actually yeah, a little, well, started happening. Uh, you know, I always look back at this incident. I, I could never tell whether I'm the most unlucky person in the world or I'm the most lucky. I guess both things can be true at <laughs> yeah, the same, at the same time. time. You know, uh, yeah, it always crosses my mind if me or the other car, if either of us had been a second faster or slower, we would have completely missed each other. Mm -hmm. So what what happened uh, then? They, they saw you, they, they approached you, and yeah. Okay, so by the way, um, all of this are you know witness accounts. Obviously, I was completely unconscious at the time. Yeah, I only read these through like court documents. However, you told me uh -huh. that for the longest time you thought uh, that you had some memory of this. Yeah, okay, let me get into that. Okay, yeah. That's actually a really interesting part. Um, has to do with, I guess, psychology. Right. Okay, yeah, so basically the paramedic pulled up. Um, they cut open my clothes. Then they couldn't get a heartbeat. So the driver, paramedic, basically pronounced me de uh, dead on arrival, DOA. They put me on a gurney, we all meet into the back of the ambulance. And on the drive back to the hospital, um, the paramedic in the back put shock pads on me and somehow managed to fibrillate me. Electric shock. Yeah, right? electric shock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I came back to life. Okay, so this goes into 
what you're about to talk about. Yeah. So over the, you know, over the next few years, I've retold the story a dozen times and I have a very clear memory of waking up on the ambulance with the paramedic on top of me. And a very clear memory of me being taken out of the ambulance, going through the hallway of the hospital, getting x-rays, RMRIs, being looked at by doctors, and then finally getting checked into the ICU. Then I find out um, about two years ago from one of my roommates, who's actually an ICU nurse, that none of this was possible. <laughs> yeah, because it's not like the movies. Because um, you, we've all seen those movies, yeah. right, where, where you get... Uh, pushed on the on the, uh, yeah. the stretcher and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, then they just put the shock pads on you. Mm. Then your body jolts up. Then suddenly you open your uh, eyes. You take a gasp and you yeah, wake yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, that actually doesn't happen in real life. But you had this image in your head. I have this your very brain just clear made-up memory, which mm -hmm. is crazy. I remember pretty much every little detail in clarity. Now I talked to my roommate. I told her the story, and she basically told me this is impossible. She works. At, She's worked in ICU for seven, eight years now. Mm -hmm. She's seen all kinds of horrific accidents. So basically, when you get defibrillated, it takes you uh, hours to days to wake up. You're basically in a comatose state. Yeah. There's no way you know you have your eyes open or being able to hear stuff. So, so that entire memory in my mind was just made up. What an amazing thing. Uh, <laughs> our brains are uh, <laughs> mysterious uh, memory makers. Yeah. Um, you were bedridden for three months? I was bedridden for about three months. Uh, oh, you know what? I actually haven't told you the most devastating part. <laughs> you were about to get married at that time. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so um, I didn't walk away from the accident scot-free after you know being woken up um, by the defibrillator. So I fractured my chin. I ended up getting, I think it was 11 stitches on my chin. But the worst part was I fractured my spine, my L4 lower lumbar. Um, the fracture missed my spinal cord by about three millimeters. So when I woke up in ICU, this actually happened. <laughs> when I woke up in ICU, the doctor came in and I you not, this is what he said. He came up to my bed and he said, Hey, just so you're prepared, there's a chance you might not walk again. Uh, the like, the worst kinda, thing to hear. Yeah, like, ever. how the f do you prepare for something like that? It's just ridiculous. No way. Okay. Yeah. So, and then... Well, then a team of doctors came in. They gave me the option, either do a surgery on my spinal cord and put pins in there to make sure it heals correctly. But the consequence of that is there's a 50% failure rate for that surgery. So even if I wasn't going to become a paraplegic, that surgery could totally screw me up. Yeah. And another consequence is after the surgery, you have to get steroid injections in, directly in your spine once a year with a needle that's about six inches long. So that did, that did happen to you? No, no, no. no. So okay. that was option one. Uh -huh. And the option two is you lay in bed and don't move for about three months and you take your chances. I hope it heals. I took the latter option. 50% doesn't sound like very good. Most people probably would, I guess, yeah. I, I think so, yeah. 50% yeah. just doesn't sound like very good odds. No, <laughs> no, it's better than 40 or 30, but it's yeah. still not very good. Uh -huh. And then after that... Uh, yeah, so I laid in bed for about three months, just bed rest. Um, got really depressed, got addicted to Vicodin. Because <laughs> there was nothing Vicodin else was to. your friend. Yeah, Vicodin was my friend for maybe the first month, and it became my nightmare. Oh, God. Yeah, I ended up making uh, pretty much a full recovery to physical therapy for about six months. Then I was back on my feet. 
just for my listeners, I'm looking at someone who looks very healthy, and I would never guess uh, that, that something like this happened to you. I mean, this 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 Thank is uh, yeah, this is an excellent recovery. Uh, how old are you now? Um, I'm 28. I'm turning 29. Okay, that, that wasn't very long ago. Yeah, yeah it was about yeah, it was about seven, 10 years ago. Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. then then the full recovery mm-hmm. more or less yeah. happened six months after you got out of bed right? yeah mm-hmm. so it took me three months to get off crutches then mm-hmm. i was like limping for a few months before so what what uh, kind of takeaways did you uh, get out of this um, did you become more spiritual did you become more thankful for your for your life uh, I did not become more spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the opposite. I'm a very logical person, you know. I, okay. Well, we'll talk about spirituality at another time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely changed my life. It's one of those things, you know, when I describe it, it doesn't have the weight of actually being through the experience. It's just one of those things that really made me value my life and value how I spend my time and just realizing how short life actually is and how it could end any second. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after getting out of bed and thinking for three months, I decided that for me personally, the purpose of life is to experience. So that reinforced, oh, oh this yeah. is when this notion was actually born for you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before it was always, you know, Prepare abide by society's rules mm-hmm. and go down this path that's set for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, then let's switch gears here. Uh, You worked at perhaps uh, not one, but several uh, very large uh, tech companies. At least one of them, right? Yeah, one one large one, one large well-known one. So that was after you tried being an actor? No, no, no. that in parallel? Of, uh, yeah, that kind of happened in parallel. <laughs> okay, so you were doing yeah. uh, two things, if, if not yeah. more. I mean, ADD, of course, yeah. that explains it. Uh, so you worked at a tech company of a large size, <laughs> and now you don't. Uh, uh-huh. How long did you work at, at an office? Work in office uh, or at this tech company? Just office jobs. Office uh, jobs. Um, I have 14 office jobs before... I decided sitting behind a desk for the rest of my life is not the life for me. Unless this desk is in Thailand. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Uh, it's different when it's your own desk. Yeah, so 14 yeah. jobs, that means yeah. 14 jobs. on, on so average you've lasted like six months or so? Yeah. yeah, six months to a year for each job. Uh-huh. I was all, uh, I'm one of those people that's, that just aces all job interviews. I'm very hireable, but I get bored easily. Those yeah. hundreds of auditions really helped. <laughs> hireable. hireable. Well, that was after, actually. Hireable but unemployable. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Intolerable. Uh, why, why, what makes you uh, a, a short-lasting employee? I lose interest. It's very mm. straightforward. I lose interest in the things I do. And again, I like to explore new things. Mm-hmm. So I'll get in a job. I'll be very passionate for a few months. Um, and just be exceptional at what I do, then once I feel like I hit a proficiency level, I just get bored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's one I'm of the reasons I'm all, uh, why I'm into creative pursuits, because for creative pursuits, there's no, there's basically no limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So 
after you've stopped getting uh, a stable paycheck from from your office jobs you, the last job you quit what how long ago uh, that was uh two and a half years ago i, I think so yeah. i would guess you've switched to an alternative way of, of sustaining yourself yeah uh, okay so so basically when i quit my job at the tech company i was also acting at the time so that brought in some paychecks but it was inconsistent and that's actually when i discovered the whole concept of digital nomadism and location independent work uh-huh. and i so <laughs> it sounds really cliche but my entire life now was inspired by tim ferris's four-hour work week sure. which is basically the digital nomad bible i remember reading that book on an airplane <laughs> a long time ago many years ago yeah and not essentially not acting on it until years later but i think the little seeds were planted right there yeah yeah definitely yeah. so after i finished that book um it just kind of made me realize you know there's a life outside the nine to five and it doesn't have to be super difficult mm-hmm. well you with your attention deficit disorder yeah. you were able to build an online business somehow. yes how did you manage to okay so focus here, on that? here's one thing pe- <laughs> a lot of um I think ADD is very misunderstood. Okay. People have, you know, very um, false ideas of what it actually is. So very simply put, people with ADD, we get distracted easily. However, when we find something that we love or we're passionate about, we have laser focus. Just super intensely focus on this one thing. Mm-hmm. It might be um, short lasting sometimes, but you had enough attention span for this you know how long did yeah, it take definitely. you to take your business off the ground um it it actually got off the ground really quickly um i did a lot of prior research so, so that, you e- that's uh, e-commerce. e-commerce yeah, yeah mm-hmm. e-commerce so i got it off the ground within about six months mm-hmm. six months time while keeping your job no 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 this was after i quit my job yeah Would, while acting at the same time I see. Yeah. So in, in retrospect, mm-hmm. would you recommend uh, those who are thinking about this to... Uh, Do it in six months? No, to, <laughs> to keep their job on the side and sort of be this kind of dispassionate uh, employee while building what they really care about uh, in their spare time? Or it's better to sort of burn your boat, boats and just move on to... I'm in the school of thought of burning the bridge. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily the bridge, burning the boat. Mm-hmm. I feel like, especially creating your own business, it's a full-time job, and to really focus on it and develop develop it, you have to be, you know, 100% in, in line with it. Mm-hmm. When you have another job, doesn't matter if it's, you know, the most mundane and job that you don't care about. It takes a lot of yeah, it still takes uh, energy away from you. Mm-hmm. It takes energy, and we have limited concentration, is what it is, throughout the day. You can, you know, push yourself to work 20 hours, but after the eighth, tenth hour, your proficiency is down to nothing. Yeah. Because let's be honest, yeah, we really truly uh, work hard with four or five hours a day, you know, concentrated, like distilled yeah. to 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 its essence. Yeah. It's um, yeah. it's as Tim Ferriss puts it, it's effectiveness, not efficiency. You can be super efficient at doing something, but if you're doing the wrong thing, it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things I learned through this journey, I think that's the most valuable, is the difference between being efficient and being effective. You don't have to be the most efficient at doing something, but if you're choosing the right thing to spend your time on, yeah, you can make a lot more progress than someone who's proficient at something but doing the wrong thing. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to say about um, you know keeping your job and uh, working on a business at, at the same time, for me personally, when I have a nine to five job that's providing me a steady income, I don't feel as motivated. So quitting that job was actually one of the mo motivators for myself to give myself a push. Since I have no stable source of income, this becomes, you know, my only thing, which pushes me to focus on it intensely because of the pressure, the financial pressure behind it. Did your routine change at that time? Or like, were you still waking up early or <laughs> I don't know? Um, I've actually, I've, I'm not a morning person. Mm -hmm. I'm very much a night person. I'm never really waked up early for a job in my life. This is this is pretty funny. It makes me sound really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you can talk about it now. Now, yeah. now that you've arrived to yeah. where you are, now <laughs> I have no no boss to answer to yeah. or job to answer to. Yeah. But basically, when I um, had jobs, one of my conditions of being hired, I feel like very few people give conditions to be hired by somebody else. But yeah, one of my conditions I is always. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, one of my conditions is always I don't go into work before ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And every job I have pretty much, with the exception of a few, has agreed to that. Yeah. yeah. In the tech uh, industry, it's possible. It's yeah, it's definitely possible. Negotiable. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, negotiable. Just, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm just not a functional person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, compared to at night. Uh, for me personally, I, I can be, but only on occasion. If, like, if it's like a, a special morning with uh, right. a meeting or something, right. or a trip to take. Like a once in a while thing. Yeah. Not consistent. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think our body clocks are all different. Our body rhythm, you know, kind of dictates our lives. And you, it's, I don't think it's something that you can't really fight mm -hmm. and, you know, win. Probably not. Yeah, so I work much better at night when the rest of the world is asleep and everything's quiet. So after I quit my job, I usually woke up at like 11 a.m., noon. Then I'll work till 4 or 5 in the morning. Um, yeah. I'm... I'm very similar, and lately this is how it's been. We're actually sitting here yeah. next to Pond Space that we both probably uh, knew about before getting to right. Chiang Mai, and uh, it gets really uh, empty at night. So yeah, per perfect environment for yeah. for, for uh, late night work. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, do you have any advice for those who want to work and travel at the same time? Uh, is uh, it for everyone? Are we talking about to get started or during the work travel? Like, uh, is the complaint that it's hard to work while traveling valid? Or, or it's, it's up to the person? Like, you can make it work, basically. You can make it work, but one of the biggest things I've come to realize, um, you know, having done this for a little while now, is you have to split up your work days and your travel days and your you know adventure days. A lot of people try you know try to cram everything into one day, or they do half days of one thing and half day of the other thing. Mm -hmm. I found, at least for myself, that say you plan an activity in the morning, then you have to go back to work um, in the evening. You're not really concentrating on either. When you're out, you know, having fun, you're supposed to have fun, you're thinking about what you're going to do for work later. And that really bleeds into each other and affect each other. So my advice would be divide up your days. Definitely dedicate days to work, um, specifically just 100% work. 
Another thing is when you're out having fun, sometimes you'll just blow off work. And that happens fairly often, especially in the beginning. Especially when you don't have a boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or someone to report to. Probably helps to have uh, partners in the business so you can kind of uh, be re accountable to each other. Yeah, definitely. It really depends on what business you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what are your goals and milestones ahead? Uh, I know you're doing video blogging right yeah. now. Uh, your, your business is more or less an autopilot. At least it's in, in the four-hour four hour work week mode, <laughs> right? Is it, is it yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm trying to grow the business, obviously, and try to, trying to scale it. Um, well, I've been in Chiang Mai for a month and a half now. I feel like I've gotten a good amount of work done, so I'm going to take the next month off and travel through Vietnam on a motorcycle, which where very little work is going to happen. But some video editing is going yeah, to Yeah, yeah. So goals and milestones. Um, I would like to at least triple the size of my business by the end of the year. Okay. Yeah, you know, product-wise and income-wise, just so... I can set an autopilot and not have to worry about the growing anymore. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, because this business is a means to end for me. Eventually, I want to get into filmmaking as my main pursuit. Mm. Yeah, which brings me to the second goal, which is um, learning filmmaking. I want to be proficient at filmmaking. And how I'm doing that, instead of going to film school, I took the money for film school and decided to go travel, start a YouTube channel, and make my own daily movies. Yeah. So, which uh, we'll share the link uh, in the in the show notes. Thank you. Chase Chronicles. Chase Chronicles. It's a uh, fresh, young, growing channel. <laughs> <laughs> fresh, young, growing channel. Yeah. yeah. By the end of the year, I'm eventually gonna start marketing it and promoting it and try to gain you know subscribership and growing it and some that can monetize. But for the time being, my main goal is to develop the craft and the skill. Mm -hmm. I feel like you know. A lot of people do YouTube stuff and filmmaking stuff and all they care about, their main goal is basically to get more subscribers, to monetize it, to get more popular. But people are kind of ignoring that this is a creative pursuit and content is what matters the most. So I want to spend my time to make sure I hone the skill. Uh, and the skill is multi-layered, right? So you've got... Yeah, uh, storytelling, uh, choosing the right subject to, to talk about, right. to, 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 to demonstrate, yeah. to show, and then Cin editing. Yeah. yeah, cinematography, editing. Basically, it's a one-man show for entire film production crew. Would you outsource any of this? Uh, At the moment, no. Because, like I said, uh, this is my version of film school for myself, and I'm holding myself accountable to you know, understand the entire process inside out and find you know, the, um, the obstacles in the way and give myself the experience necessary to do this professionally later. So what is the most difficult part in, in all of your efforts right now, like, or things that, are, that you find the most difficult? Uh, are we talking about uh, the vlogging part? Vlogging, uh, growing business, and uh, traveling, routine, like all, all of that. Like, wh what, what do you struggle with and you'd like to uh, maybe get some help uh, or become better at I struggle I struggle with balancing things out um, again going back to the ADD I'm a very spontaneous person I I'm not a fan of scheduling or I'll have a rough outline a plan an idea of what I'm gonna do I don't like to schedule out everything and micromanage it 
So that has a lot of upsides, but also the downsides. Sometimes I'll put too much on my plate that I won't be able to go through. I get too ambitious, basically. Yeah. So you want to reduce the scope going forward to, to the realistic side. Like, what could you improve in that? What can I improve in that? Um, goes back to the whole effectiveness versus efficiency thing. Uh -huh. I feel like that's still a skill. 80-20. Yeah, 80-20. That's a, yeah, basically the 80-20 principle. That's a skill that you continue to develop. And since it's still not something natural to me, I have to stop myself once in a while and, you know, get myself to go back to the, that mentality again. Basically correct course. Excellent. Yeah, so just balancing everything out right now is still the biggest challenge, especially when I'm going to be moving um, on the road again, you know, a different city every day. You're going to stick around Asia or? Uh, yeah, so this trip um, is all of Southeast Asia. Until? Until I'm projecting probably towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So it's all going to be Southeast Asia? Yeah, Southeast Asia, then I'm going to end my trip in Australia and New Zealand. Got it. Yeah. And I guess uh, this uh, covers a lot of, uh, <laughs> of ground, ADD style. I'm glad uh, we, were able, we were able to um, do the spontaneous, unscheduled interview. <laughs> <laughs> on my last day in Chiang Mai. Thank you for being on yeah. Everyday Journey Yeah, no problem. Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'll, I'll include some links to your work uh, below. Probably awesome. your Instagram, your YouTube. What else? Perfect. Uh, what else do you want to share? That's uh, it for now. Again, yeah, people, that's it for now. People want to find you. These are the best uh, channels. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And uh, good luck on your travels. Thank you very much. <laughs>